Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all of the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 31. We are now in the 2020s. The 2020s. In the 2020s. Officially, I know we talked about being in the 2020s last Monday, because we were when you listen, but we were still living in the in the 1900s. <laughs> <laughs> Time is weird. Time is crazy. How were, how were your um, holidays? They were great. They were great. We... Um, Stuck around here. We didn't go anywhere, but we stayed super busy, and I'm very happy for the children to be back in school. Oh yeah, that was that was so great. That first day that Max got to go back to daycare, I was oh like, two weeks together is too many. Oh yeah, yeah. And then my son had the flu the whole week before they got out of school, so it's been like three weeks worth of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love my children. I mean, it was amazing, amazing bullshit. time together. And we really bonded. And... <laughs> Should we get to our quickies? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Okay. I will go first. Okay. So I know that we have um, love in our hearts for Instagram influence. <laughs> <laughs> this article just came out this week for People Magazine, and it was written by Diane Herbst. Herbs. 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 Do you think people call it, hey, herbs? I guess That's what I call it. H-E-R-B-S-T. Hey, herbs. Herbs. <laughs> I like it. I like it, too. Apparently, an Instagram influencer by the name of Noelle Halcrow was dating Brandon Rook. And so they started dating in August of 2015, and Rook ended the relationship later that month. But then in February of 2016, the pair started back up, and then Rook ended the relationship that July. So makeup breakup, makeup breakup. It happens. But all of a sudden, a month later, all of these posts started popping up on Instagram under a variety of fake names, basically defaming Rook and calling him a liar and a cheater and screenshotting text messages and all this stuff. Um, you know, basically calling this guy out. Yeah. But of course, there's IP address evidence uh-huh. that shows that it was actually all coming from um, Noel Halcrow's email account. So this Instagram influencer was using fake emails and fake accounts to post all of this stuff about um, her but Was ex. he also an influencer? No, he was a Canadian business consultant um, God, don't they, are these are such like bullshit <laughs> things. It's Canadian like, business right. consultant. He's like, yeah. <laughs> all three of those things. No, yeah, <laughs> just makeup job title. Like I'm a consultant. I'm an influencer. Um, we're biz- together. We're synergy. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm a business consultant. <laughs> um, but apparently, she was also calling him a cheater and alcoholic, and said that he had sexually transmitted diseases. Ooh. So a judge in British Columbia ruled that the posts were defamatory and ordered his ex-girlfriend, Noelle, to pay him 
200,000 Canadian dollars, which is like 154,000 in US dollars um, in damages. I would take those dollars. Yeah. And then she had to um, make her public account and make it private. But she has like over 17,000 followers. This Still. Doesn't, doesn't seem like that many. I mean, Not it for is an a lot. influencer, but it's a lot more than we have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell your friends. <laughs> but yeah, um, the Supreme Court Justice Elliot Myers ruled that Halcrow defamed Rook in a campaign against Mr. Rook that was also relentless as it was extensive and that she was motivated by malice. So she claims that the, the posts were written by her friends and other people, but. Obviously, they were written by her. Mm-hmm. And then also listed in the ruling is she has to pay him an extra, what would be considered $30,000 in U.S. dollars in special damages to recover the money that he had to spend on reputation consultants. That's another, another- job! <laughs> reputation consultants to remove the postings. <laughs> it's, uh, it's one for... The 2020s. It is. It's a very uh, cybery. Right. It's like it has everything. It has. It has (laughs) fake job titles. Fake job titles. Instagram. I don't know what else are kids doing. IP (laughs) addresses. It's very computery. Flying cars. (laughs) I hope you have a better quickie. (laughs) The woman in my quickie today, Kathy Jones, she got a new job at a Subway restaurant. Ooh, and she, sandwich artist. yeah, she was super pumped. Like, break out the Smirnoff ice. I'm gonna get turned tonight. She was pumped. She was, she was down. She actually downed two Smirnoff ices. And I don't at like, her job. No, no, no. At home after oh, she got like the got job. Hired. Okay. Yeah, she got hired. She was so pumped. I don't think anybody like iced her. I think she just drank them. She, gotcha. She was 46, so she's not like some frat bro. She was very excited. <laughs> so she drank her Smirnoff ices, and then she drank two very strong mixed rum drinks, and then she looked at her boyfriend and was like, this motherfucker is not even excited for me. <laughs> oh my God. She was like, I just got a new job at Subway. Why does you care? He's not even celebrating. <laughs> And that was when, according to him, she sprayed lighter fluid on him <gasps> and then started throwing lit matches at him. Oh, my God. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> I mean, I'm only laughing because they, like, went out before they got to him. Like, he didn't. He wasn't. There is no way that she can handle that kind of sandwich artist pressure. Right? So If she breaks that easily, she would she's gonna never be, like, be able spinach! to handle. No spinach and Pe- olives. Yeah. <laughs> people staring at you, watching you make their sandwich and saying, no, it's too many black olives. She's going to be like, Don't more you, black olives. What are you, aren't you celebrating this <laughs> sandwich I made you? It's beautiful. I'm an artist. So he, uh, as she's like, you know, throwing lit matches at him, he locked her out. He pushed her out of the house, locked her out. And then called the cops, uh, which is when, according to the article that I read, um, she caused criminal damage to the doorframe, which I'm not exactly sure what that meant, but I'm guessing she was kicking the doorframe in. Kathy told police that she does not remember how she got locked out of the house, but she does remember being upset with her boyfriend after he wouldn't celebrate her new gig as a sandwich artist. And so she was arrested for one count of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon and one count of criminal damage. And I didn't, I couldn't find out whether she kept her job at Subway, but my guess is they were like, yeah, we've seen worse. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that's crazy. She's going to be the new Jared. Right? If this story gets, breaks, 
It's a story. I mean, it's, like, it's all over. Well, it just yeah. happened in December, so. Okay, yeah. If yeah. this goes viral, then, you know, this is the new, like, I love Subway so much that I'll let my boyfriend on fire. <laughs> this boy is on fire. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm calling for her to be the new Jared. We need a new Jared. We need it. Kathy Jones is a new Jared. Yeah, and what she did is far less worse right? She than was like, I love Subway. Yeah. Get excited I'll for me. I'll light a bitch on fire. Right? I've, there's been times when I've wanted Ben to be more excited about things for me. <laughs> I mean, I've never lit him on fire. But <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. But I understand yeah, the sentiment. I get it. <laughs> hey, Sally. Yes, Jen? Are you ready for a crazy, dumb story? Uh, yeah. Okay, this story comes by way of Oxygen's hit new TV show. Oxygen does not pay us. No. <laughs> but we would take their but money. We would take, yeah. But it's a, new, it's a show called A Wedding and a Murder. Have you heard of what, this what? one? No, yeah. <laughs> it's, they're in the second season, and I haven't even heard of this one yet. This is nuts. I know. Been. Gotta catch up on your oxygen. All right, this is the story of Michael and Elizabeth Chirpin. Okay. Okay. In nineteen, and the story is nuts. At the University of Kentucky in Lexington. I know it. In Kentucky. Yeah. Um, I've been there. I've done comedy there. <laughs> yeah, it's very nice. Mm-hmm. A uh, 20 year old band leader, Michael Turpin, met. Wait, f- was he like the marching band leader? Yeah, did you know him? No. <laughs> I don't know. You always know everyone. Marching band leader. I always know all okay. I know all the marching band leaders. Okay, so. No, he, I just was wondering if he was like in a band or like in the no, band. No, he was like band nerd band. Okay. Yeah, so marching band leader. And he was in a fraternity and he went to a, a frat party after a game. Mm-hmm. And that's where he met a flag girl. For the same team, and her name was Elizabeth Zinder. Okay. She was a freshman, and he was, I believe he was a senior. He was, like, kind of nerdy and quiet and, like, funny, like a nice guy and funny. He was a band leader. Yeah. Um, But I was in the band, so I can say that. Yeah. Oh, you were? What did you play? I played the clarinet. That makes sense. (laughs) I'm kidding. Okay. okay. (laughs) No, I want to hear you play the clarinet. Oh, I could not play play it it today. (laughs) Elizabeth was real cool and like edgy and she they said that she looked like a young madonna you know like she dressed like it was back in those days where she would have the asymmetrical cool haircut and and, you know wore things off the shoulder Uh cool girl so michael was like everyone said that he was funny and he was smart and he was interesting but he was very shy and elizabeth was vivacious and the center of attention and also a little dangerous oh okay but she took a liking to him and that just made him feel like she was like, here's a guy in power. He probably has a cool uniform and like a top hat or whatever yeah. they wear. Like, what is the t- the hat with the feather? I don't even know what those are called. I should know, but <laughs> he had one of those. Band hats. Yeah. Um, so, he, so they started dating and he was just like so happy that someone like Elizabeth thought he was cool. You yeah. Know? He brought her home to meet his family, and they immediately did not like her. In fact, like they interviewed the dad on the episode, and he was like, her hair was spiky, and she talked real loud. <laughs> I didn't like her. Her hair was spiky, and she talked loud. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Elizabeth, she like tried to fit in at college. She tried to be in a sorority, but she was 
actually like it was like one of those mean girl things where she was the only girl that didn't get in the sorority they're like yes to everyone except yeah. for you with your spiky hair well i'm, I'm picturing um, kate gosling yeah, yeah, uh, yeah gosling it wasn't yeah a la kind of kate meets eight kind of spiky up a little bit yeah a little less can i speak to your manager <laughs> a little more madonna <laughs> Um, so when she didn't get into the sorority, she kind of like, you know, was like, well, fuck this place. And she Mm -hmm. like started partying a lot and like, um, and after two months of being in college, she dropped out. She was like, peace, I'm out. So she moved back to Virginia and Mark, Michael was absolutely heartbroken and they would write each other letters, um, you know, while they were apart. But then after Michael graduated and then he finished an accounting program, he immediately left, um, Virginia to go I'm sorry Kentucky to go be with Elizabeth um and but he went and he got her and brought her back so he went to Virginia and then packed her up and then brought her back to Lexington okay to be with him and then shortly after he proposed to her one night at a restaurant uh she said yes um and so he was you know, super excited. He was like, great. She's going to like, he just thought like, we're going to stop drinking and partying and you're going to settle down and you're going to be my wife Mm -hmm. and everything's going to be great. Mm -hmm. And on August 25th at 1985 at the Emanuel Baptist Church in Lexington, they got married. And during the wedding, she actually like tripped and fell down the aisle. Um, But Um, everyone said that like, you know, she immediately like started dying laughing and looked at Michael and they were, he was dying laughing and it was just like, they could see that they were just like a really good match for each other. Yeah. Um, so then they went to, they left for their honeymoon in Florida, um, and in a big bright red convertible Mustang. Oh, very nice. Fancy. Um, that apparently he had just bought. Um, so when they came back to Lexington after their honeymoon, Mike immediately got in an administrative job at a photoshop while he tried to find something more more like in account but in the meantime he was working at this photoshop but elizabeth was spending money like crazy and he had to be like listen you know i don't have money right now mm-hmm. i will but right now tone She's down like, your spending i'm 19 and you're 22 yeah <laughs> we're rich now and so so but to keep up with the bills she ended up getting a job at a car dealership uh-huh. and she was actually um very good at her job like she was great at sales great with talking to people and yeah. was pretty successful at it and she loved her job and she ended up becoming good friends with some of her co-workers and there was one woman named karen brown that she really hit it off with karen also sold cars there mm-hmm. at the dealership but on the side she was also selling drugs oh Karen. so elizabeth what kind of drugs being friend they didn't say. all drugs <laughs> just a drugs they didn't say <laughs> just drugs mm-hmm. crack cocaine's so elizabeth started because she was hanging around karen a lot she started slipping back into her partying ways and so not only five months after the wedding, they started to have major issues. Like she would go out partying all the time without Michael. Mm-hmm. And he was embarrassed that she was doing what everybody told, his parents told him she was going to do. Oh, you know right. I mean? Yeah. He was and, like, I can't tell any- I can't tell anyone because yeah. they told me this would happen. Yeah. So he started to like withdraw from everyone and withdraw from his parents. Apparently even for Christmas, he didn't come over and they were like really heartbroken that he didn't even like come for Christmas. He just, you know, didn't want to see anybody. On February 2nd, Elizabeth goes out to a club with her friend Karen Mm -hmm. 
and some other friends that they work with. And then that next morning, because she ended up staying the night out, Elizabeth comes home to their apartment and finds a gruesome crime scene. Um, There was blood everywhere, on the walls, on the door, but there was no sign of Michael. But it was obvious that like something brutal had happened. You know oh, what I mean? Like, yeah, so that's he's awful. missing and yeah. there's blood everywhere. So Elizabeth ran to a neighbor's house and immediately called the police. Mm-hmm. And then Detective Fran Root was the first person on the scene. And he said that like as he was walking up to the apartment, there was a trail of blood through the parking lot, up the wooden stairs, up to the door, inside the front foyer. Like it was just obvious that the, a bloody body had been carried oh, out. Oh, you know? I see what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, and then there was a bloody shoe print on the floor, but there was no body. But they uh, apparently there was enough blood to where they could already consider it that this was a homicide. Yeah. The police talked to Elizabeth. She tells them that... She last saw him at 7.15 p.m. the night before. She told him that she was out partying with friends and didn't come home because she was drinking and that she doesn't like to drive at night and that it was raining. And they were like, wow, that's a lot of stuff that you're telling us. Uh-huh. You know, so they said that their like red flags went up just right. like how much she was. Like how airtight her alibi was. Yeah. And so then she tells them that Michael was actually a drug dealer and that he used to work for an organized crime syndicate called The Family. Okay. And that he went by the street name The Shark. Wait, band band leader yes. Michael? The band band nerd Michael is also The Shark. Okay. <laughs> I know. So she insinuates that this was basically a most likely a drug deal gone bad. Right. You know, uh, The so Family is the got Family. <laughs> Oh, my God. In Kentucky, dude. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So the next morning, the police are interviewing Mike's friends. While they're in the middle of doing interviews, um, they get a phone call that the body had been found on a golf course. Mm. So they go, they retrieve the body, and Elizabeth was asked to go to the morgue and identify the body, and she did. But And they said that when she did, she was very emotional. And so she later called his family and then told them that she wanted to have his body cremated. And they were like, fuck no. Yeah. Like, you know you're not doing that. And so his father was actually really good friends with the coroner. Okay, well, that's convenient. small town, Kentucky, man. So he called him and was like, I don't want his body cremated. And the coroner was like, listen, we're not going to let it happen. I promise Mm -hmm. you. And the police had actually already stopped the cremation because they ordered an autopsy. And it turned out that Michael had been stabbed 19 times. And they said that the wounds were very shallow, Mm. which led them to believe that it had to have been a woman because there wasn't a lot of force behind the stabs. And it's like, bitch, you don't know how I stab. You don't know how I stab. (laughs) (laughs) We both got like offended. It's like the whole throw like a girl, like stab like a girl. Like I'll fucking, now we're going to go to jail. (laughs) No, I'm just saying women can be strong too. Women can be strong too. Women can... And, and men and can, can be stab weak. the shit out of you. I've seen some weak ass men. Yeah, All right. Okay. Anyway, fucking sexist Lexington cops. Um, so they canvassed the neighborhood, asking if anyone had seen anything, but um, they found no leads. And at his memorial, Elizabeth showed up, and everyone was freaking out because she shows up wearing this like bright red dress. 
It's like Jesus. not something you wear to a funeral. Well, I mean, when you're a, a mafioso wife. That's true. That is what you wear. Michelle Pfeiffer, married to the mob, would wear a red Kelly Bundy dress. Right? Too. Also, she's 19. So. Yeah, true. So she was acting like nothing happened. They said that she was laughing and joking around. And then everyone was like, yeah, something's not right. <laughs> this dum-dum this did it. feels weird. <laughs> so the police decide to look more into the story about him being a drug dealer and stuff. You know, the shark. And um, they start asking all of his friends and family about, like, did you know that he was, you know, an organized crime? And, like, they all had no idea what Elizabeth was like, of what? A shark? No. And so they weren't able, and they also couldn't find any evidence in, like, local crime reports. There were no reports about that there was even whisperings of any kind of syndicate called the family or anyone being called the shark. You know, there was just like (laughs) no evidence to support that at all. So then they start to look more into Elizabeth, of course. And then they found out that she was actually very big into like the local party and drug scene Uh and that she was going out regularly with people from the car dealership and having threesomes or as they put it, Having sex with two men. <laughs> You're like, you know, there's a term for that. <laughs> so she was having sex with two men. The vixen. So then on February 4th, Karen Brown, her co-worker, just out of the blue, mm-hmm. just decides to show up to the police station and be like, hey, I'm here and I'd like to back up Elizabeth's story. <laughs> you know, just as a friend, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that, yes, he was a drug dealer mm-hmm. and um, and he, he beat her. Did you know that? He beat oh, her. Oh, that's another and layer. they were like, oh, thanks, Karen Brown. Thanks for just deciding to come in and give us this information (laughs) and she said that at the night of the murder elizabeth actually that night she was like yeah you know elizabeth asked me what time it was that night and when she found out she was like oh no he's gonna be so upset with me he's gonna kill me and then so she said that they went out to the parking lot to leave because she was like afraid mike was gonna beat her for being out late Uh and then that they saw the car was moved and then they said that they knew that he was the only person with the key, so he had to have done that as to send her a message. Like, he moved her car to be like, I'm watching you. It's like, or maybe he didn't want you to get a ticket. Or or maybe that just didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, because Karen goes and tells them the story, then they're like, okay, well, let's go to the club. Let's mm-hmm. ask around. Let's see if anybody saw Michael move this car. Yeah. And so they ask everybody, you know, did you see him here? Did he move this car? And they're like, no, we didn't see that. But we did see Karen and Elizabeth totally making out on the dance floor, though. <laughs> <laughs> and then police are like, fucking Karen. <laughs> Karen? <Damn> it. <laughs> so it turns out that Karen and Elizabeth were in a secret relationship. Uh-huh. Dun, dun, dun. And the police are like, okay, here we go. You know what I mean? Right, so right. like now we, it, things are starting to make sense. So they call Michael's mother and they ask her to look into his life insurance policies. Yeah. And they find out that on January 30th, just days before his murder, he had taken out a $60,000 life insurance policy and Elizabeth was a beneficiary. Man, dumb 19-year-old murderers. I mean, $60,000 is not not. enough. Not even in the 80s. (laughs) Not even in the 80s. 
Oh, yeah. So now the police know that she's pretty much the only person that would have motive with the motive. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's I can all- just picture these two girls just like, oh my god. <laughs> Guess it's gonna be so epic. We're gonna go to the mall. <laughs> We're gonna get so many bangles. I'm gonna get orange Julius's for days. <laughs> get a convertible car. On February 6th, the police received a tip that Karen had asked one of her coworkers, Karen, the girl, uh, uh-huh. Elizabeth's girlfriend, had asked one of her coworkers to borrow a gun. Ay, ay, ay. I mean. A few days later, Karen's roommates, um, a woman named Dee Kane and a man named Doug Elliott, come into the police station. And they said that Karen's been acting very strange and that her car had a very funky smell to it. And that they saw Karen and her coworker, another guy named Keith Bouchard, mm-hmm. furiously cleaning up her car in the middle of the night. Like, who does that? Right. Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. Nobody. So, murderers. Murderers. So Keith Bouchard was a mechanic from the car dealership and was also at the club on the night of the murder. And then Doug, her roommate, also said that he could see bloodstains inside the vehicle. And he said that Keith Bouchard, the other guy, asked him to get rid of his shoes for him. And the shoes had blood on them. Like, okay. <laughs> murderers. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> So, like if you ever ask me, hey, can you get rid of these shoes for me? I'd be like, there's blood on them. them. I know. Damn shoes. You know where the trash can is? <laughs> like a yay. Idiots, dude. Okay, so then D, the other roommate, then she says that she found bloody boxer shorts in their apartment and that the boxer shorts belong to Keith Bouchard. Oh, so they're idiots. basically walking into the police station like, here's your murder. Like <laughs> in a box with a pretty little ribbon. So and the police were like, I mean, we knew it. We were just waiting for yeah. you guys to come in because these couple of dum dums aren't gonna make it. Yeah. So they, uh, the police get a search warrant and search Karen's car, and yeah, there's blood all over it, <laughs> all over it. And then so they take her into custody, and they you know start questioning her. So immediately she's just like, oh, right, Keith yeah. did it. And uh, she said that she was there and that she was the driver, but that Elizabeth had talked them into it. And then they were immediately arrested. And then um, an immediate warrant was put out for Elizabeth's arrest. So they ended up finding her at her brother's house. And then on February 9th, 1985, Elizabeth was arrested. And then the prosecutors were seeking the death penalty for all three. Even though they had that statement from Karen Brown at the police station saying that Elizabeth put them up to it, unfortunately, her um, her testimony was deemed inadmissible because there was not a lawyer present. Oh. So now they would have to get Karen or Keith to testify against Elizabeth in court. Yeah. And so... They knew they had to make a deal with one of them, unfortunately. And they tried going to Karen's lawyers first because they knew that she was the least culpable of the three. Like, she didn't actually do any of the murdering. I know, but, but she I did feel like. cover it up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, she, yeah. I feel like she, she orchestrated this whole thing. Totally. But then, so the lawyers said that she would talk, but only if they recommended that she only got three years. And they were basically like, go fuck yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, actually. I think on the documentary, uh, well, on the show, the the prosecutor was like, and I was like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you 
much. It's great. So then they went to Keith Bouchard's lawyer and, ex- and in exchange for getting life without the possibility of parole instead of the death penalty. Yeah. Keith tells them that Elizabeth put them up to it. And he tells them that on the night of the murder, they drove to his to Michael's apartment. They rang the doorbell. And then when he came to answer, they jumped on him. They bo- And then... Karen held him down, and he started stabbing him with a paring knife, and Karen held him down while he stabbed him. So, motherfuckers, it was a dude. Yeah. Stabbing. Yeah, you're right. Oh, fucking. Bitches. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Poor Keith. <laughs> <laughs> Little wussy stab marks. <laughs> Stabbed like a girl. <laughs> So now the the prosecutors have this testimony. And then they were also able to find an old journal of Elizabeth's Mm -hmm. where she wrote, um, and this is in quote, I use people only for the furtherance of my own being. The best part of it is I feel no guilt or remorse over this fact. So like they were showing that like she's a psychopath and she uses people. Less than one year after their wedding, Elizabeth's, stands trial for the murder of her husband and they said that she came to trial you know she used to be like real edgy and uh-huh. like cool whatever she but she came to trial wearing like a very it almost looked like an amish lady's outfit oh you know, yeah like, like a bib or yeah and the, pull, the poofy sleeves uh, like a grandma outfit everyone wanted to see if karen would testify in elizabeth in exchange for life over the death penalty mm-hmm. But she wouldn't turn on Elizabeth because while they were in jail, Elizabeth was sending Karen love letters saying that like, oh, after this is all over, we can be together finally and I love you and blah, blah, blah. So Karen just refused to testify at all. Idiot. Yeah. But then Elizabeth took the stand and she completely turns on Karen and throws her under the bus and was like, this is all her idea. Um, She said that like she wanted her husband dead because she was obsessed with her, that they were just friends, but Karen thought it was more. Mm -hmm. but then you know the prosecutors painted a picture to the court that elizabeth was this master manipulator and this is even more proof you know what i mean that they had and then they showed the letters that they wrote to each other in jail and then they had the witness testifying that they saw the women kissing in the nightclub so hoped that they could convince the jury that elizabeth was evil Mm -hmm. and so after a month-long trial the jury deliberated for one day both karen and elizabeth were sentenced to life without the possibility for parole within the first 25 years so karen stood up in court and screamed at elizabeth calling her the devil Ooh, that man, what a like exciting turn. Yeah. And so the vote was actually 11 to 1 for the death penalty for Elizabeth, meaning that one person saved her life. Like one person voted to not give it to her. And the both women are still in jail to this day. And Don Turpin, Michael's father, he said that he vows to outlive both women because he wants to see them both die. Like in jail, he wants to live in a world where they are not. Spike-haired bitches. Stupid. She talks so loud. (laughs) (laughs) I knew she was the devil the moment I saw her. Oh, that spiky hair. Um. So yeah, that's my crazy story. That was awesome. Is it so many twists? That was a good one. Scandalous. I know. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for a love story? I am. I really, really want a love story. <laughs> I feel like the more you say it, the less I believe you. I, I do. Uh, 
I do. I, I do. Really do. I really do. Okay. I need them. Uh, so this is the story of Emmy Abramson and Vic Corkula. And I got my information from The Sun, UK, The Times, UK, and a random website called Drivepedia. Okay. Is it about driving? It is, which, but then this article was randomly on there, so. Weird. I'm questioning whether they copy and paste it from somewhere else, but I couldn't, I mean, there was like an author and everything. I mean, if the internet says it, it's real. Yeah, well, I... I actually, I also, there was a um, interview with a couple, once I watched the interview, I, I watched it on YouTube, I was like, oh, this is where everybody got their oh, quotes and stuff gotcha. from. So um, so it's legit, it just, you know. When actress Emmy Abramson sat down on a bench in an Amsterdam park, she was supposed to be meeting a film director, but she had no idea that she was about to meet a man who was going to change her life forever. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So Emmy was born in Sweden, but she had spent most of her younger years traveling around the world because her dad was a foreign affairs correspondent. And so she had this very like that Sounds like a real job. That sounds like a real job. Yeah. So she had like she had lived in in Russia, in Austria, in the, Never- in the Netherlands and in the UK. And her family was like they very they valued education. She learned five different languages growing up. Emmy said that, like, in her family, conversations over dinner were about politics, literature, and recent world events. And in my family, we were like, let's do rhyme time. (laughs) (laughs) Rhyme time? Did you ever do rhyme time? Oh, rhyme time. Rhyme time. What is that? We, like, say, like, cat, and then the next person says bat. (laughs) No, we would just beat the shit out of each other. (laughs) I mean, there's that, too. (laughs) So Emmy got her master's degree in text and performance studies from the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts in London, and then she moved to Vienna to to be an actress. Oh. So, but by 2006, she had been through a bad breakup and was living with her cat, Whiskey. And she said, after a four-year relationship, my four-year relationship ended badly, although I wasn't averse to meeting a man if he happened to fall into my lap, I was busy enjoying my own life. So she was like... She had a lot of friends. She had a fun social life. She was like out and about. She wasn't looking to meet a man. Uh huh. So in that same year, in September of 2006, she left Vienna for a few weeks for acting work in Amsterdam. So that's why she was there. So that's how she found herself sitting life. on a bench. I know in an Amsterdam park when she caught the eye of 25-year-old Vic Korchula. He said there was this beautiful woman sitting there by herself, and she just looked super content with a smile on her face. I just so had... I'm going to go bother her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what most men tell right. themselves when they yeah. see a woman sitting by themselves. Yeah, they're like... <laughs> <laughs> I just had to go and talk to her. That's what he said. Yeah. So he asked... He walks over to the bench. He sits down, and he asks Emmy for the time, and she like looks up, and there's this huge clock like that they're both staring at, uh-huh. and she's like, yeah, it's 10 to 7. Um, and she said she could immediately tell that Vic was homeless oh yeah he was dirty he smelled his like beard was not knotted his clothes were matted he was carrying a suitcase which she was like that's crazy right he's just and he was 25 and he definitely stunk he actually says like when you're homeless your feet get minging which i think means real gross uh um he said you're not washing your socks and you sleep in a park with wet shoes constantly on your feet so Vic was born in Poland, but he had spent most of his time growing up in Canada. 
His father worked as a bricklayer. His mother was had a job as a cleaner. And he has never he was never interested in higher education. He had worked several low income jobs um, after high school. And he was kind of raised with this mindset of men don't study, men work. So like you graduate from high school, you go to work. And he eventually had saved up enough money for a trip to Europe. And kind of like what happens with a lot of people who decide to go backpacking around Europe, his money ran out sooner than expected. So Vic was living on the streets and he was taking odd jobs here and there, but he was hitchhiking from country to country. And what started out as a kind of this whimsical vagabond lifestyle um, soon turned into like full on homelessness. Like he started drinking and doing drugs and he was carrying around a sleeping bag and cans of beer in a briefcase. Oh, geez. Um, And he says he never read. He just, he said like the wheels, I don't know why they put that in there, that he never read a book. He also (laughs) never Never read. read. (laughs) Can you even believe it? He never went water skiing. Like not once. (laughs) He also, like like the homeless do, (laughs) Never went water skiing. Never um, touched a ping pong ball. <laughs> <laughs> so Vic says, okay. yeah, the wheels fell off and the alcoholism, alcoholism kicked in heavy. It was such a gradual turn that suddenly one day I realized, oh my God, I'm a homeless alcoholic. Oh, wow. So for six months, he had been sleeping under the stars when it was nice out in bushes and parks and under bridges when it rained. So Emmy and Vic were only able to talk on that bench that day for 10 minutes. Emmy says she found Vic surprisingly captivating and intriguing. She got up to say goodbye, and Vic stood up, pointed to the bench, and said, Saturday, 3 o'clock, same bench, and then walked away. And Emmy says there was just something about him. Like, he was 6'6". He was also 25. I was going to say, I'm like, was he really hot? <laughs> He's, he is. She said she was struck by his, like, beautiful brown eyes and that she, the fact that she had laughed out loud several times during their 10-minute chat. Like, uh-huh. So when Vic asked Emmy to meet him six days later, she agreed. And then she said, on one hand, I was put off by his disheveled appearance, but there was something about him that was so intriguing that I wanted to meet him again. So she, over that next week, she found herself thinking about him a lot. And then when Saturday came, just as he had like asked, she returned to the park bench where they had met. And to her surprise, he was not there. And so she waited, and she waited, and she waited. Oh, my God. And then 20 minutes, just as she was, what like, getting ego up. ego, Bruce. Right? Oh <laughs> to be God. like, oh, oh okay. Uh, <laughs> I got stood up by a homeless person once. You did? Yeah. I There was a guy that, when I went to Georgia State, he would always ask me for money, and I didn't always have money. And, like, one day I was like, well, meet me here tomorrow. I'm going to bring... Oh, because he had a bicycle with him. And he yeah. said, like, I can't ever sleep because people will steal my bike. I said, meet me here tomorrow and I'll bring you a bike lock and I'm going to bring you breakfast. Yeah. And then I went and he never showed up. <laughs> and then when I finally saw him... And then I ended up giving away his breakfast to somebody else. Yeah. And then, um, but then when I finally saw him another time, his name was Willie. And I was like, Willie, I like had a bike log for you and a breakfast for you. And you didn't even show up. And he was like, I have no idea who you are. <laughs> so I was like, fucking forget it. Um, so she's there for 20 minutes and she's about to get up. And then he turned up and he was on a kid's uh-huh. bike. <laughs> And so Vic says that he didn't think she was going to show up. And so he, but he was like, I got to go check. So he, just in case, he couldn't, 
believe that a girl like Emmy would show up to see him again. And so he thought for sure she was just being nice during their first interaction because he had gotten used to people just dismissing him, you Mm -hmm. know? And before their second meeting, Vic actually had sold drugs to buy foot cream in order to like get rid of the foot smell. Oh my God. So the two spent that day six hours walking around Amsterdam, having a picnic and getting to know each other. And they shared their first kiss. (gasps) Amy says, during our time together, I realized that Vic was simply the funniest, happiest and most optimistic person I'd ever met. He had a lust for life that was both both mesmerizing and contagious. I had never met anyone like him before, someone who found everything a huge adventure. So Vic and Emily went on, Emmy went on three more dates during her time in Amsterdam. And each time they got together, she found herself more and more attracted to him. And she said, I had to face it. I had fallen in love with him. I tried fighting my feelings as there were so many things wrong with him, according to my worldview, he had no education, no career prospects. He was five years younger than me, and he was living in a bush. <laughs> so as their feelings were like intensifying, it was time for Emmy to go back to Vienna. And Emmy thought, like, okay, this was just an experience. There's no way that we we're going to be together. And But she decided to give Vic her phone number and contact information before she returned to Vienna. And she was like, well, I mean, the only problem is, like, he had no phone, no permanent address. Like, what am right. I going to do? There's no way that she could get a hold of him. She was like, I'm not sure I can just, like, send a letter to the hot guy in the park, you know? <laughs> like, so, so for three weeks, she went back to Vienna, and she didn't hear anything from him. But then one morning, her phone rang, and it was Vic, and he simply said, I'm here. <gasps> And so after finding various odd jobs around the city of Amsterdam, Vic had finally saved up enough money to afford a train ticket to Vienna. And it actually took him a little longer than he expected because he had spent all over that time, he had spent a weekend in prison for stealing a chicken. Oh my gosh. So the same, that was actually the same weekend that Emmy had celebrated her 30th birthday. And Emmy was elated to see Vic. She, but her family and friends were not as thrilled She saw him as like this handsome, funny, kind-hearted gentleman, but it was like not as easy to convince her loved ones that a man with no education, no job, and no home was like right for her. They're like, he's going to take advantage of you. Her dad was worried that he was going to give her some terrible disease, and her mom was worried that he was going to steal from her. But then once Emmy's parents actually like took the time to get to know him, they saw that he was like compassionate and intelligent, and that despite his lack of education, and they... Um, They warmed him, but she says that she actually lost two of her best friends because of her relationship with Vic. Oh, wow. So Vic, wanting to do everything he could to keep Emmy, cut down his drinking, he learned Swedish, and with Emmy's support, he decided to enroll in college. So having never put any thought into school before, he now decided to study mechanical engineering. Wow. And two years after they met, Emmy and Vic got married And then two years later, they had twins, Till and Desta. And during that time, Vic was like going to school full time and Emmy was supporting them through her writing career, which I'm like, now isn't that the dream? Yeah, I know. You (laughs) can support somebody on a writing career? I know. So she actually became a successful young adult author. Wow. Yeah. So she wrote, I think she's written like five young adult books that have been published. Wow. Um, so it was a, it was, you know, it was a struggle. They weren't, they didn't have a lot of money, but they weathered it. And when the twins were two, Vic graduated and he got a job as an engineer and they're now living in Sweden. 
And Emmy says, Vic was once told me I was the first person who believed in him. And that's all it takes. Just saying, I believe in you can change someone's world. And Emmy says that she is just as grateful for Vic coming into her life as he is for her. And she says, some people see me as having saved Vic, but I actually think it's the other way around. He showed me that you don't need to... You don't need much to be content, and he makes me laugh every day. In the almost 12 years we've been together, I have become calmer, more easygoing, and have a better sense of humor, and that is all down to him. And Emmy and Vic want others to learn from their story that you should always take the time to get to know someone before judging their character. Sometimes just making eye contact, smiling, and saying hi to someone you wouldn't usually talk to can change their life or yours. And in 2018, Emmy published a novel. This is an adult novel called How to Fall in Love with a Man Who Lives in a Bush. <laughs> and it's um, going to be made into a movie. Oh my God, that's so cool. Yeah. I love it. Yes, that's my love story. Love it. You ready to do things that are dumb and things that we love? Yeah. I got some that's dumb. Yeah, you do. I broke my stupid idiot toe. <laughs> stupid toe. Stupid betraying you. Dumb Oh, I what the, happened? The dumbest thing I was just walking from one room to another mm-hmm. and then I walked into an ottoman. I was barefoot. I just gotten out of yoga. Yeah. It was like the first yoga of the new year mm-hmm. and like my intentions were like I'm going to seize the day. <laughs> <laughs> this is my year. <laughs> Your intentions intentions were I'm going to fuck up. I thank my body and give it gratitude for being able to do this practice. <laughs> and then I come home and immediately break my fucking toe. So I think that that ottoman had it coming though. I did. That stupid fucking ottoman. I moved it to another room so I didn't have to look at it anymore. <laughs> but um, yeah. But I got um, what's good though is I, I hate being immobile. Yeah. And I just got uh, this new boot that's smaller. It's adorable. It's a cute little <laughs> It's a cute little boot uh, as far as boots go. Cute little orthopedic shoe. <laughs> um, and so I can walk and stuff. I yeah. like I, like the doctor I was like okay so can I still do yoga? Can I still drive? Can I still walk? <laughs> Can I still bike? And he was like, usually people are asking me, like, how much work can I do? Right. <laughs> and I was like, hypothetically, say the circus comes to town. <laughs> they need a trapeze artist. Right. Can I audition? <laughs> I just don't like to not be able to do stuff. Yeah. So I'm like, it's just, so it sucks. I hate it, but it's good that, like, I feel like it's not going to slow me down that much anymore yeah. now that I have this new ugly shoe. I mean, yeah, you hobble really fast. Yeah, dude. <laughs> we hobble real fast. Mm-hmm. All right. So those are my things. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sorry about your foot, but. It's all right. It'll 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 heal. I give gratitude for <laughs> <laughs> my body and its ability to heal itself quickly. <laughs> I feel like maybe Thank your you body. for my show. <laughs> your body in the universe know that you're saying that sarcastically. I know. I think that's my problem. Like, I can't do, like, meditation because I'm sarcastic. Right? <laughs> and they're just like, okay. Like, yeah, yeah. Jerk off motion. <laughs> okay, um, your turn. Okay, so my dumb thing is that we had my mom's memorial last I weekend know. And, and it was just really, it was, it was hard to, it, it was nice, but it was also just like very hard because it felt like, okay, this is like putting the button on this whole chapter. Not like, you know, just like 
the intense grief and right. yeah, just like saying goodbye yeah. felt really hard. And, um, and it just felt like not enough, you know, like, um, yeah. so that was hard, but what I loved was, so my mom wanted her ashes spread in the ocean cause she loved the beach. And so, um, we planned this memorial at the beach, um, cause she lived in Orlando. So it was just very close. We went, just drove over to the beach and we went out. It was this awful day like it was just like rainy and got cold and it was windy and so we're having this like memorial ceremony like under um under this like pavilion and then it's finally stops raining and we walk out to the beach and it's like at sunset and right as like my brothers and I go down and spread the ashes this rainbow comes out I know and it was like just one of those things where, uh, yeah, it was just amazing. And it felt like, like I had been saying in my head, to, like to my mom, like, all right, you're gonna, like this, this is your memorial. So do something great. Yeah. Well, I just was like, I'm mean, gonna need this rain to stop. Like, I don't oh, yeah. want, I don't want this to be like the thing. I don't want this to be the goodbye. You know, like, yeah. I want it to be nice and I want it to be like a good memory for everyone. And, and then she fucking did it. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was it's really beautiful. Incredible. And, really, and the, the picture is, so yeah, it's breathtaking. Yeah, it was just like we all can kind we of post like stand that. There. Yeah, we can post okay. it. Yeah, let's post it and then you guys can see it because it's really like it'll. It's like kind of takes the breath at breathtaking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it was funny because we, you know, we were all like, we had, we had, my brothers and I had walked down and our her best friend had said something and then we all walked down and we spread the ashes and then we're walking back up and we're hugging hugging everybody our family and my sister in law is just like, hey. A rainbow, <laughs> like because oh none of us were paying attention. Then we were all like, "What?" <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was, um, it was really cool, and I it felt like a good. I just felt like a good sign. I felt like yeah. a good goodbye. So, yeah, yeah. And so now that's... you know she's everywhere and listening <sighs> all the know. time to everything you do. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> she's listening to this podcast. <laughs> it would be uh, the first time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well. Uh, <laughs> I love it. And I'm, I'm excited for all of you guys to see the picture as well. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it was man. really cool. So that's it. So uh, happy happy 2020, everybody. I hope yeah. your year is going well so far. Hey, and send us some stories about... Yeah, send us some know, stories. Cool things you're doing and send us some stories. Some love stories would be great. Yeah, you can send them to uh, dumblovepod at gmail.com. Yeah. You can also just send it to us on our Instagram. Just get, slide in our DMs. Slide into our DMs. Yeah, we're at dumblovepodcast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Also, please like, rate, and review. We would really love that and share us with a friend. Thanks, you guys, and get out there and go do something dumb for love. Dum, da, dum, 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 da, dum, da, dum. Da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum